Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and I will be uh, the host to, for the presentation this morning. Today is Sunday, July 31st, 2022. The uh, share ID numbers for Friday, July 29th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that number is 19,235. That's 19235. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting on, uh, on July 29th, that number is 19,236. That's 19236. This morning, A Vision for You presents Troubles of Our Own Making. The first paragraph on page 62 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter entitled How It Works, uh, you know, we learn some critical information about our malady. In fact, I'm, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, selfishness, self-centeredness, that, we think, is the root of our troubles. <clears throat> Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation. But we invariably find that at some time in the past, We've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. And, and, you know, all the while I was under the impression that at the root of my problem was so many other external things, you know, the food, uh, you know, that was my problem, how I was raised as a child, my, my genetic makeup, my job, my finances, my partner, you know, all those things. And while we can acknowledge that, you know, all of these external circumstances are certainly important, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, minimize the importance of them, none of them really capture the essence of my spiritual malady. Because in the end, lack of power, that was my dilemma. I had to be brought into alignment with the power, and it had to be a power greater than myself. You know, that was essential. So joining us this morning to more fully develop and, and bring to life through their, their own experience with the ideas expressed on uh, page 62. We have three recovered compulsive overeaters, and each of, the, uh, of these fellows are going to share the manifestations of self and the inherent consequences of this. And in particular, each panelist is going to share how steps four through seven reveal these flaws to themselves and how they were transformed through the 12-step process. So each speaker is going to share for approximately 12 to 15 minutes. Um, they're going to do their best to self-time. And these presentations uh, will be followed by an opportunity to pose questions to the panelists. So our speakers, let me give you the three in order. Uh, we have Renee A. from Oklahoma, Rick J. from North Carolina, and we have Jody E. from California. So please uh, join me in welcoming for our first speaker, Renee A. from Oklahoma. Good morning, Renee. Hi, Larry. Can you hear me okay? You're coming through great. Thanks, Renee. All right. Good deal. Well, 
My name is Renee A. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I don't normally have such a low, raspy voice, but I'm a little under the weather today. So if you lose me for a couple of seconds, it's because I've muted so that I can cough real quick. So um, here's what I want to start out with. I want to start out by keeping it real. So uh, Leah asked me if I'd be willing to talk about this text on selfishness and self-centeredness she texted and whenever I got her text my first thought was no I don't want to do that that's my weekend off so the irony right it's a talk on selfishness and self-centeredness and the first thought I have is selfish and self-centered so clearly I've not arrived so what I want to start out and do first is I just want to qualify my qualification also I think is kind of gives you a flavor of what the drama of life is like whenever Renee's in the director's chair and um, so when I got to this program back in early 1995 I was obese with all the attendant health problems Um, I could barely act do my activities of daily living Um, I couldn't I couldn't carry in the groceries was difficult for me to clean the house um, I basically spent a lot of time in my recliner um, spiritually I said I was an atheist but people aren't usually angry at something that they don't believe in um, I found out later basically I was just really really angry with God um, and emotionally I was just a complete basket case I had two feelings numb and angry Um, my husband at the time avoided me my kids were absolutely terrified of me and rightly so I was a pretty nasty abusive parent Um, I had an anxiety disorder and my anxiety was so bad that I was nearly agoraphobic I could barely leave my house and every single day for months before I got in this program I just wanted to die I um I would wake up in the morning and play a game with myself. I would look at the 38 pistol that we kept in the top of our closet and try to think of a good reason why I shouldn't use it to just do myself in that day. When I eat compulsively, I just want to die. Um so you know, this is such a great text because what this text tells me and what my life with me running it shows me is that Every single one of these troubles that I had was of my own making. Um, I, you can tick off the list. Every single one of those things was a manifestation of my selfishness and self-centeredness. So I want to switch up to the text. And Larry, I'm really glad you read it because it's such a great text. So this text is, is amazing in that it, it's just so clear and succinct. It, it gives me a diagnosis tells me that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my problem it shows me what the symptoms look like I step on people's toes they step on mine I'm self will run riot I hurt people they hurt me Um, and then it gives me the prognosis and my prognosis is dire if I do not get rid of the selfishness and self-centeredness I'm going to die and here's what I found out from my years with me running the show 
here's the bonus. The bonus is that before I die physically, I'm going to be dead emotionally and spiritually. Um, Just a dead person walking, basically. And so what I love about this book is it also gives me hope. It gives me the cure. Tells me I have to have a relationship with God. And then it gives me some directions on how I need to take my medicine so I can get this cure. And those would be the steps, especially four through nine. So I do want to focus a little bit on those steps and and how God used those in my life. He used them to bring me into a right relationship with him because, you know, things were were wonky. Um, I was on the throne of my life. And, um, you know, that wasn't working. And so what I needed to figure out is I'm not God. He is God. He can do a way better job. And those, those steps helped me to figure that out. So first of all, before I start on four through seven, let's go back one step. In step three, I was asked to make a decision. So my, my decision is between two choices. I'm either going to continue in the delusion that I can run my life, and if so, the big book tells me and my experience shows me what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. Um, Or I'm going to align myself with reality. And that for me, that's reality with a capital R. Um, Now, at the time I made that decision, I really didn't know God that well. Um, But I figured he was better than dying. And I had some kind of a rudimentary belief that he might be loving and powerful, and that really was enough for me to make a start. Of course, 20-some years later, that relationship has, has changed a lot. Um, and, I, you know, I've come to know him as just amazing and wonderful and beautiful. But enough about that. I could go on about that forever. So my experience with these steps, here's how these helped me with my disease of selfishness and self-centeredness. Well, once again, they start that process of putting me in a right relationship with God. There is a God, and I'm not it. And um, so step four, I started out, I was pretty afraid of that step. Um, But that step told me that if selfishness and self-centeredness is my problem, then I need to figure out what does that look like in my life? How does it play itself out? What are the manifestations of that? I have used other um, formats for um, doing a four-step inventory and found them utterly lacking. Um, I did one that was um, just kind of a chronological dump, you know, of everything that had happened to me, but that really doesn't take an inventory of where I'm selfish and self-centered. And so I used the big book format next, and I got a lot of freedom from that. Um, Step five, well, that continues the humbling process, which I found that's what I needed, more humility, less of me, more of God. And um, so what I found with that step was, Uh, Yeah, there was humility, but there was also freedom for me. It brought me out of isolation, connected me to other people, um, which was a real blessing. And it helped me to feel clean. Um, Step six. Now, here's the interesting thing. Step six, there's there's a bit of a, you know, we can have discussions about how to work step six. And, And step six in the big book, there's 
six and seven, there is just a few sentences. Um, for me, what I had to do before I became entirely ready to let go of these character defects, I needed to be entirely ready to let go off of the to let go of the payoff. Okay. And I was getting something from these character defects, and I had to be willing to give up the payoff before I was entirely ready to let go of these things. And, you know, a lot of times my character defects, just the payoff was they supported the narrative that I'm in charge. Um, And so that was an important step for me. We all work that step differently, and I, I realize that there are other ways to go about it, but for me that's what's been helpful. And step seven, just another dose of more humility. Um, I've had a lot of these, and I can't get rid of them on my own. I've had them for decades. They're a part of me. God has to remove those character defects. Now, I will tell you my experience. um, He's completely removed some of my character defects. Like self-pity was just all, I was all over my first inventory. And I rarely, if ever, feel sorry for myself. Um, But... As evidenced by my opening remark, I mean, he still has not uh, completely gotten rid of my selfishness and self-centeredness. And here's what I know today. If he hasn't removed it, he's still using it for his good purpose in my life. And so one thing I can see that's possible is it does keep me on my knees and in constant contact with my higher power. So there's that. Um, he's chosen to remove some of these on a daily, minutely, hourly basis or a per incident basis. And for that, I'm, I'm very grateful. So I want to close. I want to close with one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's attributed to father Dowling. I'm not able to verify that, but I love it so much because it, it just characterizes me. If I get to heaven, it'll be through no virtue of my own, but simply as a result of backing out of hell. So when I started this program, I was literally backing out of hell, just backing out of the gates of death. And accidentally, (laughs) I backed into a life that is so good that I could never have imagined this for myself, not ever, in my wildest dreams. Um. I'm a normal weight today. I have kids who love me and they want to spend time with me. Um, I have a career that's uh, completely built around service to other people. I've got long-term friends in and out of this program. Um, I mean, my life is better than anything I could ever have even thought of on my own. Um, Yeah, I still have troubles. Everything's, you know, everything is not wonderful every day. Um, And I have to say, my first thought, a lot of times, is pretty selfish and self-centered. But fortunately for me, um, I have a God that will fill in the second thought with something more sane and something more in line with reality. And I I just want to say that today, I, I literally owe everything I have and everything I am to a merciful, loving, heavenly Father. And, you know, he showed me the way out, and the way he showed me um, out was through these steps. And so um, with that, Larry, and and all I'm going to pass, thanks so much for letting me do service. 
Renee, thanks so much. A beautiful, illuminating presentation on, on your transformation. And uh, so thank you for that. We all, we're all appreciative. Okay, next up, our next panelist is Rick Jay. And Rick uh, hails from uh, North Carolina. Rick, so good to, uh, to, to hear you this morning. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Larry. How are you? I'm good, Rick. How about you? Doing good. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful to be on the line here with you and everyone out there. Uh, my name is Rick Jay. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Cary, North Carolina, um, but certainly not cured. And I, I uh, absolutely love this section on page 62. Uh, this really um, hit me right where I live, you know, as far as like what what's going on with me, um, this selfishness and self-centered. I love it that it's, uh, this, this begins with an exclamation point, you know, selfishness, self-centeredness, boom. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the old infomercials there, but wait, there's more. I already know I have an obsession of the mind, this mental twist and a physical allergy, but now we're getting down to the real root of my problem. And it's selfishness and self-centeredness. I'm trying to control, to have power over my life that I am powerless over, you know. And I have to understand what makes me me so I can release that and let God transform me, you know. And, and that is that uh, the root of, of my troubles is that that selfish, self-centered engine that, that cranks up, that like it's it's rooted in fear a hundred forms i love it a hundred forms that's a lot of stuff going on you know driven by a hundred forms of fear self-delusion self-seeking and self-pity and uh you know with fear i you know there's so many acronyms of, of fear but one that really hits me you know in my life when i'm looking at at that fear and what's driving me what used to drive me is is the one that's that false evidence appearing real. And I think for me, when I go through this, this process, when I was going through the inventory process, you know, what I realized is that the dots of my thoughts are trying to create a picture that looks right. It feels right, but in reality it isn't. And, and that's my, the self delusion. That's, that's my thinking. It's, it's warped. And um, I love it. Our uh, sister in South Carolina was talking about the main problem, you know, of delusional thinking is that I don't realize it's delusional thinking. So for me, then it's reality. So I'm buying into to this delusion as reality and acting accordingly. And uh, the self-seeking part of that, I am I'm trying to fill a hole in my soul. Now I don't know you know exactly when that hole opened up it might have been a birth defect so to speak i don't know but there's a part of me that's that's like i i need you to make me feel okay you know and self-pity of course when things don't go the way i'm trying to get them to go which was a lot of the time you know and all the collateral damage that uh that i created trying to get life to go my way then I would um, I would be in self pity, 
you know, and um, this inventory process lets me look at what my selfishness and self-centeredness truly looks like. Um, you know, these these troubles, you know, they arise out of myself. They arise out of my delusional thinking. They arise out of this spiritual disconnect, you know, and, and I can see in the past, especially when I'm looking at uh, column four in my resentment inventory where my mistakes are, is that I have made decisions based on self and really it's more like i didn't make a decision i just reacted selfishly uh and i hurt others and they hurt me back basically and you know an extreme example of self-will run riot though i usually don't think so that's my delusional thinking again but for me it's it's like i all i am without my higher power i am nothing but an extreme example of self-will run riot just waiting to happen, you know, like that top fuel dragster, you know, zero to 300 miles an hour. And the finish line is extreme example of self-will run riot. (laughs) And uh, my ego is the fuel. My thinking is the race car. And that's where it goes. If I am not spiritually connected. And for years, of course I was not even in 12-step program, and I, I was thinking of the um, extreme example of self-will run riot and and relating to that incident years ago and to something going on in my life now involving my daughter, Libby. And when uh, she was about 10 years old, you know, just imagine this sort of as a, you know, watching a movie and seeing the stage that I'm setting here and Inside of a house, there's a hallway and a stairway, and down this hallway comes this this little girl, her little red hair flying out behind her, a look of terror on her face, and she's crying. She's racing up the stairs. Right behind her is this full-grown man roaring at her to come back here, pounding up the stairs. She races in her room. She locks the door. I'm pounding on the door, demanding her to open it. I hear another door open. You know, she's in a closet. She's locked herself in a closet. She's hiding there. She's terrified of me. And this is someone who supposedly was working a 12-step program of action. You know, I know what I'm capable of. And in a moment of spiritual disconnect, I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot. And I have placed others in a position to be hurt, just not me. You know, and when I think back on that little girl, you know, I I was living in fear. I was a stay-at-home dad. My daughter was always seeming to get into something that I felt like I had to save her. And I was trying to control her life to where she would be safe. And and in my mind, I was the only way she was going to survive. You know, I'd given her a Heimlich maneuver to, you know, she was choking. She almost strangled to death. I've taken her to the emergency room, you know, a broken toe. And, you know, in my mind, this little girl was 
being pulled away from me and I was trying to hold on to her, which created this fear, which disconnected me. And I was actually causing more harm to this little girl. You know, and as I'm dealing with her treatment team, needing her to go back into residential treatment, I realized that I, my self-will is starting to exert itself and I'm arguing with her care team and saying, no, we, she does not. I can help her. We can do everything she needs to do. She doesn't need to go again because what I'm realizing is when I'm looking at my inventory, I've got this same fear again and I have this delusional thinking you know, that somehow I am in control and I'm going to save her. You know, my fear inventory was, was crucial for this. You know, I, I have this real fear that she's going to die. That was my fear when she was a little girl, and that was my fear now. And I'm going through the process of this inventory and talking about it. And looking at that part of me that is trying to control my finite self, you know, my self-reliance did not work. You know, God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. What would God have me be in this fear inventory? I'm grateful to have my daughter in my life. A spiritually connected father who loves his daughter and can show up for her as God would have me in love. A perfectly imperfect child of God and worthwhile human being and showing up for his beautiful daughter the best way he can and accepting that although Livy is my daughter, she is God's child and I do not know what God has in store for her. And that's the problem and that's where the trust comes from. And, and until I can identify what's going on with me and my fear and break that fear down and I can connect my past, too, in my own inventories. I have this fear that Libby's going to feel abandoned if she goes back to treatment. And she's been through a lot. I have that same fear of being abandoned when I was a child. So that's how I relate to this. It's like being abandoned, being rejected, being left behind. And I have this fear that she's feeling that. I I know enough to know that she has a lot of PTSD from some of my out-of-control behavior. And I'm releasing that, and I'm showing up in her life today, and I'm being accountable as a father. And these are hard emotions for me. When it's involving my children, it's extremely difficult. So now I'm doing this process. And I'm releasing it because what's happening is anything that's going to disconnect me from God, these emotions, they're God blockers. And, you know, my self-pity is, you know, I, I recognize self-pity is more of a character defect. But what happens now is going through this process as a parent who loves his child, I, I'm experiencing grief. Now, for me, grief is not a character defect, but it's something I have to deal with because when I get too deep into grief, I'm not showing up 
as the man, as the father that God would have me be, I am lost in this grief. And it paralyzes me. So even though some of the emotions that come up in me are understandable with this fear and this grief, but just because they're not true character defects, they're understandable human emotions, they're God blockers for me if I'm not dealing with them. And this process allows me to look at that and break that down with people and have others help shine a light on that with me. And that's what I've done. That's what I'm doing. That's what makes it different now for me living in God's world. I'm simply living in the steps. And I'm continuing that process of looking at anything that would disconnect me. So 10 years ago, I was not in recovery even though I was in a 12-step program and hadn't had a drink in 20-something years or whatever, I was not living in the steps. I was not truly living in a world where I continued to look at my, my own selfishness, my dishonesty, my resentment and fear, anything that would block me because it affects everything. And I have to get rid of this selfishness. You know, these... This section that we just read, you know, the word self appears eight times, you know, and it tells me these must. I have to get rid of this. You know, Renee said, I mean, it's it's this spiritual death that ends everything for me, and I am no use to anyone because I'm locked up inside myself. I'm in the bondage of self now. I'm beyond human aid if it's just me. And my first thoughts truly are old ideas if I am not connected. And what I'm finding out is that the more I'm pausing and I'm praying and meditating and I'm doing this nightly inventory on a daily basis, you know, I can see where my first thoughts were old ideas. And I always will invite God in for a second idea now, a second thought and a new idea. And so sometimes I'm actually seeing my first thoughts are presenting themselves as new ideas, and I can see that transformation taking place. But I have to be willing to go through this process and release it. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. And I'm just humbly asking God to take this. For me, it's, it's just trying to be teachable the best way I can one day at a time. And I don't have to be an extreme example of self-will run riot today. I can simply pray for God to show me the way. With that, I pass. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Rick. It was just terrific. You you know, thanks for offering, you know, how self-discovery is is that sort of conduit to uh, spiritual surrender. We're much appreciated. So our, our final uh, panelist this morning is uh, Jody E. And Jody is from California. And please join me in welcoming Jody E. to the line. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everybody. This is Jody E., a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic in California. Thank you to Leah for inviting me to share this morning. It certainly brought up my uh, my fears and my myself with a small s. So I'm asking God to take away those fears and that 
small self this morning as I try to carry the message to someone out there who might still be suffering. So yes, this paragraph, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. So my troubles are like branches, like the branches of a tree. I have lots of them, <laughs> lots of troubles. And the root of all of them is selfishness and self-centeredness. That is what this paragraph is telling me. This paragraph comes in the discussion about step three that was started on the previous page. <clears throat> and it also comes in the, very, in the fifth chapter of the book. So we've already had four chapters before this one as well as the doctor's opinion. So I've learned that I have an allergy of the body and that I need a psychic change to be able to recover. I, I learn and there is a solution, chapter two, that I am without defense against the first compulsive bite. In the chapter three, more about alcoholism, again, there is no mental defense against that first drink, my defense must come from a higher power. And then in chapter four, we agnostics. I learned that my, I can have my own conception about this power greater than myself. I don't have to believe in God in the typical sense of the word, in any kind of religious sense. I do not have to do that. Bill's story also talks about this. I can have my own conception, however unclear that may be at the moment. I do not have to accept anyone else's idea of what this higher power is, but I do need a power greater than myself to have this essential psychic change in order to recover. In order to recover. So I get to step three. And I'm being told that I have been trying to run life to suit myself and how true that is for me and that I have to stop doing that. I have to quit playing God. I cannot manage my own life, which is really a relief. I get to turn my life over to the care of something greater than myself, even if I don't fully understand what that is. And as Renee said, what is my choice to be? Do I want to die? Or do I want to try this, turning my will and my life over to the care of something greater than myself? So, um, yes, I am like an actor who wants to run the show, and it's not coming off very well. That was certainly my experience. So I, I, I start to work these steps. I turn my will in my life over to the care of God because selfishness and self-centeredness are not working. And I get to step four. And I make a, um, I, I list my resentments. That's what I'm told to do in this book. The very first thing I do in step four is I list my resentments. So who am I resentful against? All of those people and institutions that um, are hurting me, that are retaliating. They are 
striking back at me because I have hurt them. That's what I learned. But at this point in step four, I'm still not, maybe not seeing that. So I list all the people that I resent. Well, in the many four steps that I've done over the years, there were some key players that kept appearing for many years, my husband being the primary one for a long time. I had big resentments against him. And what step four has me do is to see how this resentment, okay, so what did he do? He, he was angry at me all the time. <laughs> he didn't give me what I wanted. Uh, and that affected my ambitions. That affected what my self-esteem. Uh, uh, and then in the final column of step four, I see, well, what is my part? What is my selfishness? That is the first thing I look at, my selfishness. And if I look honestly and deliberately, I will see that indeed I have made decisions based on self that have caused him to get angry. And oh boy, when I look at that honestly, I see that I was selfish with him from the very beginning. I wasn't even sure I liked him or wanted to be with him, but I married him because he offered me what some of the things I thought I wanted. He offered me uh, stability. He offered me a home. He offered to support me, to give me a child. And he did all of those things for many, many years without, 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 uh, expecting really much in return other than some affection, some attention, some appreciation. (laughs) And um, I became unable to give even that to him through the course of my eating disorder. As my eating disorder progressed, I became, even though I found the program after eight years or 10 years of knowing him, even in the program, I still struggled with appreciating him. I did have an amazing third step experience in 1995, turning my will in my life over to the care of God completely. And I had a, a tremendous spiritual experience in which I saw that I could love him. I could appreciate him. I could be affectionate with him with God's help. God gave me that. God gave me that grace in that moment. But God only will give that to me if I continue to work the rest of the program, not just step three. I have to keep going with steps four and all the way through 12 which is what I failed to do in 1995. So the marriage did not last. However, um, as a result of uh, working the 12 steps, we were able to have an amicable divorce. And today we are friends and we truly, truly care about each other. That is very apparent. And I'm so, so very grateful about that. So, What I did was um, 
recognized my selfishness. I admitted in step five my selfishness to another person, my higher power and myself. And then in step six and seven, I gradually became ready in step six to have this selfishness concerning my husband, as an example, removed. And it took many years. It took many years. It took, it took um, having to let go, to be asked to leave the home and to leaving the home and seeing that leaving and having my way as much as I wanted was, was not necessarily going to make me happy either. Also recognizing that some other man was not the solution either. I had plenty of men come around after I separated from my husband and I quickly realized that none of them were really any better than my husband. And I asked my husband if I could come back. And he said no, three times. (laughs) And so I accepted that I had, I had, I had, um, I had broken that bridge through my selfishness and my self-centeredness. However, giving him his freedom And letting him go, because he wanted to go, letting him go, letting him find a new partner, restored our relationship. It really has. So I I let go. I let him have what he needed. And I started to take care, assume responsibility for myself, which is what for so many years I would not do. I put the responsibility for myself on him and then I wasn't even grateful to him. So that's one example of my selfishness and my self-centeredness. In step seven, I humbly ask God to remove these shortcomings. I truly am powerless over this selfishness that I have had, that I have, that I continue to have. It continues to raise its ugly head. Uh, today, um, I'm involved in a church, and which includes a community garden, and I and I see my selfishness there as well. So I continue to have to ask God to remove this defective character and to show me what His will is for my life and for those of the lives around me. Working the remaining steps keeps me in fit spiritual condition and I trust and rely on this way of life because I see how it works in others and I see how it's working in my life. As I work these 12 steps remaining abstinent one day at a time, my life does get better and I'm learning how to be one among many and not to think only of what I think I need and what I think I want. Because I truly don't even know. I can have a life beyond my wildest dreams when I turn it over to God 
and watch what unfolds. My little plans and designs don't work for me. Ah, so thank you for listening. Thank you for um, being there for me as I trudge this road of happy destiny. Together we can do what we could never do alone. I hope that something I have said may help someone out there. And I, I look forward to meeting you on this wonderful road of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Jody, for offering a real clear, sincere message of hope. And uh, so now we're going to transition to an opportunity to pose questions to our panelists. If you have a question for them, we heard from Renee, uh, Rick, and Jody. And so what we're going to do is, uh, in order to uh, do that, you press star one to unmute. And uh, give me your first name and last initial if you have a question. Again, star one, if Katie you have questions. G. Hey, Katie. Got Christina Katie. Anybody Morning. Else? Christina. Ginger C. Gotcha, Ginger. Jim F. And then Jim. Joy B, California. And we got Joy. From Salem. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Say it again. Joanne from Salem, Mass. Oh, Joanne. Okay, thanks, Joanne. Okay. Well, here's here's our list, and then we'll we'll open it up again if we uh, if we have time. I heard Katie, Christina, Ginger, Jim, Joy, and Joanne. So let's start first with Katie, followed by Christina. Good morning, Katie. Hey, Lair, thanks for your service. And I, uh, I'm totally blown away by all three of you. I just, I'm, I'm very, very honored by your sharing. Um, and this is probably an impossible question. So, you know, do your best. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, what, what helps keep you sharing from your underbelly so my favorite new concept that i'm obsessed with is like your underbelly right like you have a dog he loves you and he's like here i am i love you so i think that um what i find is that um ego and false pride really love to move in in every area of my life so i'm just wondering is there like obviously one magic cure that helps you or what do you think is the most uh, instrumental in your life. Thanks. Well, that's great. Thanks, Katie. So among our panelists, who wants to jump in? This is Rick, and I uh, I, I know that uh, Renee and Jody are <laughs> definitely have uh, a lot of experience, strength, and hope in this as well, and I look forward to hearing from them too. But for me, you know, it's that you know, it's the continued, you know, that continued aspect of, of step 10 combined with that connection with my higher power and opening myself up to that spiritual transformation. You know, I need my thinking to be changed because I, I can recognize all my old ideas now because they're the ones I've always had, you know, and, and for me that, that being grounded 
simply grounded, like what I've learned here. You know, I I start my day with God. I connect to God through pausing throughout the day, and I end my day with God. And the pausing is still the, the one I still struggle with. You know, once I once I leave my little uh, sparkly serenity bubble in morning prayer and meditation, and I'm out there, um, that's when I get disconnected very easily. And that potential for me to be that extreme example of self-will running riot is coming out there and my delusional thinking and me trying to be someone I'm not and all that stuff that goes with it based on my ego and myself. And, you know, and, and I've actually had to start um, setting my, my timer on my phone for every 30 minutes because I, I just forget it leaks out. I'm like a colander head. It's all gone. Everything that I've experienced and learned and connected and, with, I mean, it, it just leaks out. And so when my little timer goes off, I'm, I'm like, hello, God, you know, where, where is my delusional thinking right here? How do I need to show up for you as as the man you'd have me be? How can I be of service? What is, where's my reality? You know, and I can see I have everything I need. And I can see the next person I need to be of service to. And usually it's right here in my own home. But anyway, um, sharing honestly and the underbelly that you mentioned, Katie, that's, I learned that from you. You know, I learned that from all of you to just be real. I am enough now. I am enough. I used to never be enough and I needed more. And that's really all I have. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Renee, Jody, anything to add? I can, Larry, I can jump in there. Go um, ahead, Renee. Okay, sorry, Jody. So I, when, I love that question, Katie. I was just thinking to myself, you know, what keeps me sharing from my underbelly? Well, uh, you know, I have to say one thing is I, I have a really difficult time relating to people that don't. I prefer people that do. And I'm sure a lot of that is just from being in a 12-step program for so long. Um, so I, I try to be the person that I like to be around. But uh, the second and more important thing for me, I'm telling you, if I don't share from my underbelly and keep it real, my pride and ego, um, yeah, I'm just like Rick, a colander head. I mean, it, it's not minutes, you know, before my pride and ego is back out running the show. I mean, I leave my house in the morning, a spiritual giant. I live alone. And um, by the time I get to work and it's like 8.15, 8.20, man, I am just, you know, in my pride and ego about everything and everyone. They're not doing it right. You know, they're not acting right. I I recently had a really big crash and burn at work and it was it was troubles of my own making. Um yeah, the other person, you know, did some stuff, but it never would have gotten to the place it got if it hadn't been for me. You know, there are a lot of people that cover over their insecurity with um just kind of like low lowish self-esteem. I'm the exact opposite. I cover over my insecurity and fear by acting arrogant and prideful. And if I, if I don't share from my underbelly and just try to keep it real, I mean, I can just, in, you know, my ego just regenerates amazingly quick. So um, I think for me it's just more of a, a have to.
I'm going to pass with that. Thanks, Renee. Jody, any underbelly thoughts? <laughs> Thanks, Katie, for the question. Nice to hear you. If I can stay and fit to service and self-sacrifice for others, as the book tells through sponsorship, through being willing to pick the phone when it's inconvenient, that seems to be what helps me right now the most and keeps me real and keeps me out of that fear and selfishness and that ego. You know, whether it's working, but I do am actively sponsoring and I'm picking up that phone whenever it rings, no matter how uh, it seems that I don't have the time for it. So that's what, that's what I would say. That, that's what keeps me out of that self and being real. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for the question, Katie. Okay, next up we have Christina followed by Ginger. Hi, Christina. Good morning. Christina, press start. Good morning, one. Larry. I'm here. There you are. For your service. Um, my question is for the colander head, even though I think the other two could chime in easily, but uh, Rick, you shared on something close to my heart right now, which is family matters. And there's a fine line, man, fine line between knowing when we can help and knowing when it's hands off and then being so frustrated when we see the pain of our loved ones and my mother and brother going through excruciating times. They have for years. They're in a a horrible codependency relationship of almost near poverty. And neither of them, my mother's too sick and old to do anything, and my brother's too mentally ill with PTSD to do anything either. And I listen, and I make suggestions, and then I cry, and then I hurt. And then I say, God, I know you have this. But I, the guilt, so what do you do with the guilt when you know that you, maybe there's something you can do? Do you know what it is? My hands are tied in so many ways around this situation. And I know I'm going to trust God, but when that guilt comes, it's, it's like a steamroller. And I, you know, I'm an addict, so I autopilot numb around these situations. And then I don't even know why I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. And I realize my family's hurting and I'm helpless. So I'd love your feedback on that. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Christina. And I'm so glad you're in North Carolina now, by the way. Um, so this this has been my greatest lesson, I think, in my recovery. And my with my daughter is one of my most beautiful workshops. <laughs> I don't have the answers, and and I I talk to others. I um, I call my sponsor, I call my fellows, um, I talk to my wife, I uh, write things down in my nightly inventory that I've struggled with in the day, and I start my day looking at my nightly inventory, because I know 
if I have struggled with Livy yesterday, I'm still coming through today in that emotional hangover the day and and i i don't want to go forward in that and i think for that transparency and and just accepting that i don't have the answers but what i can do is show up for them and love you know the people in my life that's the biggest thing i can do and i can pray for them at any given time that's that's free and easy i can do that anytime you know and then just keep inviting god to show me you know, what is, is there some next right thing I could do? Whatever that is, maybe just one thing. And sometimes, though, it's easier for me to know what the next wrong thing is to do than the next right thing. It's just the wrong thing is very clear. So I cheat, basically, and I will not do the next wrong thing. And I'll take credit for doing the next right thing <laughs> by not doing the next wrong thing. And some days that's as good as I can get. But thank you so much for the question, Christina. Thanks, Christina, and thanks for that, Rick. Okay, next up, we got Ginger Snap, and then followed by Jim. Hey, Ginger, good morning. Hey, Larry, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, perfectly. Oh, fantastic. What a treat to hear you moderating this morning, too. Um, I am Ginger C., and I'm in... Colorado abstinent today. Thank you, God. And my question is out to Rick J. So we know that pain is a touchstone to spiritual growth. And I think it's a real fine line with our grief and our hurt in this place. I know for me as an addict, I've been running from pain my whole life. And I still have great difficulty today. I think a lot of my relapse um, is around this place, the underbelly, this, this deeper pain issues in my tissues. God brings them up and I freak out. And um, so how, you know, I I just think sometimes we do such quick 10 steps. We want to be with this conscious contact, God, 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 and I get it. And I think I'm dismissing a really important piece. When that's coming up, there's a reason for it. So how are you holding it, allowing it in order to go through it and heal it? And with that, I pass. Thank you for the question, Ginger. Um, I, I'm still learning. I, I'm, I really am still learning how to do this. If there's any spiritual progress, I will claim, and it does say we claim spiritual progress and not spiritual perfection. Thank God, it's uh, you know it's progress. Is that I'm, I'm seeing it more now. Like when when this pain hits, and it's and and again, it's like with this grief, you know that this pain seeing my daughter in this pain gives me grief and uh and it, it's it's almost like a sniper has got me in its cro- a grief sniper has got me in its crosshairs and it and and it's it's like it shoots and then it's it's like a direct hit and I'm on my knees and what I've started doing now is simply saying I am in so much pain and grief right now and that's understandable because of this situation God help me out of this and to do the next right thing. You know, let me talk about this. Give me the courage to to write this down and help me look at that and share it with someone else. You know, it used to be the 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 grief or the emotional pain would hit and I would just that would become my reality. And now I'm just simply labeling it as such and then asking for the courage to 
to do a spiritual action on it, to talk to someone. And usually it's, it's the talking, it's that connecting, because then I'm releasing it, and then I'm connecting through the release. I'm connecting, and and it's just some days it just seems like that, that's all I'm doing is, you know, is acknowledging that I've been pain and grief, and then asking for the courage to keep doing the next right actions. Even though I don't know what they are, I'm still inviting God in, just inviting him in, realizing that I'm not running the show now, and to love myself, too, as a human being and understand that, yes, I understand why I'm feeling that. And it's okay, but it's not okay to just lock it up and not share it because it's going to isolate me even further from my life, the people in it. But most importantly, it's going to disconnect me from this God and my understanding. Thank you for the question so much, Ginger. Glad you're here. Hi, Joanne. All right. Uh, yeah, Joanne, we got you. We got uh, Jim followed by Joy, and then you're up, Joanne. So let's go with uh, Star One, Jim, for your question. <clears throat> Hi, this is uh, Jim F. from Illinois. Uh, thanks so much uh, for the service in the panel. Um, this question is for you know anyone on the panel or all of you or just one of you, but um, how do you uh, work six and seven with a newcomer the first time them going through the steps and then, you know, how do you work it yourself today? That's my question. Thank you. Great. Clear question. Panelists. Anyone want to Larry, jump in on that one? I can jump in on that one. Great, thank you. Um, so, um, yeah, thanks for the question. I think it was Jim. Um, how I would work that with a newcomer, well, let me cover the last question first. How I would work it with myself today is, um, you know, is, is through 10, 11, and 12, um, unless there was something you know, that I felt like I needed to pay more attention to. And then um, how I would work it with myself then would be the same way I would work it with a newcomer. Um, and again, I realize that there are lots of different opinions about this. I'm just going to share for me what's effective. Um, for me, what's effective is on those character defects, um, I really, I really need to know what's in it for me to keep it. What's the payoff for me? What's it getting for me? Um, and then what's it costing me? So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that first showed up on my inventory and continues to show up on my inventory just because, you know, I'm just full of pride and ego. Um, is a sense of self-righteousness. And so, you know, I take my preferences and turn them into the Ten Commandments for everyone else. And so what I've had to do is I've had to look at that, uh, the payoff for self-righteousness. And the payoff for me is it helps me to feel superior to other people. But here's what I noticed um, in about year four or five of my program what I noticed is I was lonely all the time. Um, and that's not typical of me. Um, I just felt lonely. And when I stopped and realized what was going on, it was quite the shock because that's what my self-righteousness was doing to me. Um, 
it, it, it helped me to feel above everyone else. And I couldn't come down and join the human race, okay? And, of course, that's my delusional thinking because I'm just another bozo on the bus, okay? But my propensity is to cover over my insecurity with this kind of bravado. And so, you know, um, I had this self-righteous thing going on, but what I didn't really realize is it kept me isolated from other people. And so I, I made the decision to be entirely ready to let go of that character defect. And then I asked God to remove it because I don't want what it's doing to me anymore. The payoff isn't worth it. Now, of course, that's another one that I'm not entirely rid of, probably never will be. But, um, you know, my second thought today is saner and reminds me that, you know, I'm, I'm just part of the human race like everybody else. So that's how I would work it with a newcomer. I want to know what's the payoff for you and what's it doing to you, what it's costing you. And then, you know, seven, of course, is I'm entirely ready. God, please remove this. And then to know that he's going to remove it, but on his timetable and he may not completely remove it. It may be removed, like I said, on a daily, hourly, minutely basis. So I'll pass. Thanks, Renee. Any other thoughts on six and seven? Uh, anything to add, uh, Jody or Rick? If not, this we is can, Jody. We can, hi, Jody. Hi. That was great. Thank you, Renee. Yeah, um, I have my sponsees make a list of their defects of character in step six. What are they? Certainly there's the selfishness, the self-seeking, the dishonesty, and the fear. But how do those manifest in my life? What are the different ways that selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear manifest in my life? And... Um, am I entirely ready to have them removed? Uh, and I really like what Renee just shared. What is the payoff? I'm going to add that to what I do. What is it doing for me and what is it doing to me? And then in step seven, humbly ask God, just, you know, as they come up, as they will over and over again. I, in, as I go forward and start doing 10 steps, or just in a nightly review, I'll see them come back, the fear, the selfishness, the dishonesty. I can recognize them more easily now because I've listed them. I just keep asking. Keep asking as I become aware of them to have them removed. And try to um, practice the opposite. If, um, if I'm afraid to do what I think my higher power would have me do, do it anyway. So act as if I have the courage to do it. And in acting as if I have that courage, the courage will come. So that's some of what I do for myself and my sponsees. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. Okay, next up, uh, we have a question from Joy, followed by Joanne. Joy, star one for your question. Okay, Joy, I'm not hearing you. Um, so why don't we 
go on to Joanne, and then we'll circle back and see if you're there, uh, Joy. Joanne, your question? Oh, Joy, be, Joy, compulsive overeating. Oh, there's Joy. Uh, oh, go right ahead, Joy. I can hear you now. I've been in the program since April, and it's it's a, it's an incredible, life-changing experience. I'm so grateful to all of you. I was in OA for more than 40 years, and I swear to you, I've never done a fourth step before. My question to you is this. I'm now drowning in it. Do you set a time for yourself? Do you say, okay, I'm going to do this for two hours each day, or uh, practically, how do you transfer from doing your fourth step to going back to your life and working, doing the things you have to do. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Joy. Panelists, do you want to uh, address that question, if that's uh, clear? I'm Jody. I'll speak to that. Hi, Jody. Hi. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Joy, for the question. Well, um, we have some great forms um, that uh, Lori C. put together that I think he he uh, edited from previous forms by Joe and Charlie from AA. And they make it really easy. And you can find those on Lord, uh, oabigbook.info. But they're very concise. And what I do and what I suggest for my sponsees to do is to find two hours uh, on the weekend or whenever you have a day off and bookend those two hours with your sponsor or with someone else. I'm starting now to work on my fourth step. I'm going to do my resentments. I make the sheets and I just dedicate myself to sitting there and doing it. And when I'm done, when I've done as much as I can do in that period of time, I will call my sponsor or text my sponsor or someone again. And having being accountable to someone in that time is very helpful. If you have a trouble with procrastination or getting yourself to sit down to do it. So those forms are really helpful and uh, bookending your, your efforts with someone else and being accountable is what I would suggest. Thanks, Jody. Anything to add at all, uh, Renee Eric, on that? Hey, Larry, I'll just say one quick thing. Um, yeah, uh, I, for me, I have found that perfectionism is a deadly character defect. And I would suggest in that case, well, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. In that case, I don't allow myself to get mired in. I do the best I can. I do set a time limit. Jody gave some great examples about how to structure that. But I'll tell you what, I get the biggest portion of it finished and I just go with that because believe me, God will bring other things back around if you've forgotten them. But um, that perfectionism can keep me mired in something. And, you know, I got to move through these steps quickly because if I don't, I'm I'm on borrowed time anyway. If I don't, I'm going to eat again. So, um, that's just my experience with that. Thanks so much, Renee, and thanks for the question, Joy. Let's move on to uh, Joanne. Joanne, your question, your turn. Star one. Yeah. 
Joanne, we're not hearing you. Let's uh, try star one and see if we can uh, get you up and running here. Okay, maybe Joanne, maybe she's having some uh, technical difficulties in muting or unmuting. Uh, so let's let's do this. We'll circle, circle back to you, Joanne. We have time, perhaps uh, last call for questions for our panelists. Uh, who else would has a question? Alexis F. from New Jersey. Alexis? Anybody else? Barbara P. from New Hampshire. Okay, Barbara. And this will be the last call for a call, question. Colleen for M. from Maryland. And Colleen. Okay, let's go with uh, Alexis. Uh, what is your question for our panelists? Good morning. My question is, and thank you for uh, being here today. It's been a wonderful uh, session. Um, there are times I feel like I have to sacrifice myself for my family, and I can be very controlling, you know, as far as my daughter goes. Um, and I even told her yesterday, there's times I feel so controlling. I just want to tell you what to do because I can't do the things physically that I used to do before. And, um, or I'm telling myself that I can't do the things physically that I did before because when I go to do them, I fall and break bones, and I was just wondering what the panel thought. Okay. Um, we, we get that. The, this uh, panelist, the, the nature of just this kind of controlling nature and personal limitations, and maybe you can formulate an answer to that or some comments about that. Well, um, this is Rick, and, I, and thank you for the, the question. And that's something that I... I deal with on a daily basis when I realize that for me, um, you know, this control issue is, is rooted in fear for me. And, um, so when, when it's time for her to eat and I'm, I'm the one helping her, we, we have a very rigid structure for her, but what happens is that I'll, I'll be like so intent on, on what she's eating and how long it's taking her to eat it. Um, or is she taking her medication? And, you know, these are things that, that I have to show up and, and help for on a daily basis. But it's it's the intensity of, of which I do it that is actually pushing her away and causing her to start resisting. And I'm the same way. That, that control, what I'm trying to do is, you know, deep down inside, I'm wanting to save her. I see myself as trying to save her. So I'm trying to control the situation and I'm powerless over my daughter. I'm powerless over her eating disorder. So what I have to do again is that we've, we've all been talking about this, you know, on, on a daily basis. I'm, I'm continuing to look at that part of me that starts diving into that self, that need for me to control that need for me to, you know, to show up and try to be someone I'm not. Um, and it's, my character defects are basically normal human instincts that have been warped by this own feeling of needing to control my world 
to make it fit the vision I think it should have, including my daughter. I don't want her to have to go back into treatment. I don't want her to do self-harm and end up in a psychiatric hospital again. I don't want her to overdose again. I don't want her to be gone for two months at a time like she's already been twice. If she would just eat that food, damn it, right there in front of you, just eat it. And that's what's going on. That's the voice that starts screaming at, at me. And then it's coming out in this intensity to her. And and again, it's like the pause, like, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm seeing that quicker now. I'm seeing that. I can step out of the room. God, please show me the way. Patience, tolerance, understanding, love for my daughter in this moment, in this moment, right here. Help me to show up for her as you would have me, not as my own fear and my own character defects are driving me to do. Just I'm seeing it quicker now, and that's all I've got on that. Thanks so much, Rick. Okay, why don't we move on to our next uh, question from Barbara? Barbara, do you want to press star one to unmute? Thank you, Larry. Thank you for your service this morning. My name is Barbara, and I um, I grew up second generation adult child of an alcoholic. I heard constantly in my household that it was whatever was wrong was my fault and um, that there was something really wrong with me. And as much as I resisted that, that message got in. So when I first came to doing the fourth step this way, all I felt like the process was telling me and my sponsor was telling me was it really was all your fault all along. The whole business of what did you do wrong to set this off? How do you handle this for um, children who were uh, perhaps abused as ch- uh, people who are abused as children and blamed for things that they were not responsible for when they're doing um, this step work? Thank you. Thanks, Barbara. Hi. I'll speak to that. Jody speaking. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Yes. I understand it very well. I'm also a member of um, Al-Anon. The big book definition of selfishness has been described as simply um, people are not following my script. The world is simply not going my way. I find that definition of selfishness a little bit easier to take then, oh, I'm just thinking about me. That's all I care about is me, me, me. Well, when we are in fear, when we are not relying on a higher power, we tend to try to force things to go our way. And that's all that this is about. It's, um, it doesn't mean that we are bad people. We are not inherently bad. No, we are children of a living creator. That's what the big book says. We are children of a loving, living, benevolent creator who wants the best for us. It does say that in this book, the big book. It's different from the literature of some other programs, but we can find the softness in it. We can find the love 
in it. We don't go into morbid reflection, this book tells us. We do a constructive inventory of ourselves. We see our part in things because it's the only part that we have any control over changing. I am the only person I can change. Yes, I've been wronged. Yes, I've been wounded. Yes, I've been hurt by others. Absolutely. But my freedom comes from looking at my part. That's all. And um, I understand that it's difficult. And I understand it's, it's a leap of faith. But we, we ask you to just try it and to um, in, for in, in, in doing this work, we've come to love and forgive ourselves and the people who armed us and, um, and, and abused us. So it, it does work, it, I, but I understand it's a difficult leap of faith at first. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Jody. Okay, Colleen, before we go to you for your question, I'm going to check back and yeah, let me let me check back and see if Joanne is back on the line. Joanne, are you there? Yes, I with am. With the question, there you go. Uh, yes. um, I know um, there's been a lot of talk about the um, um, self pity, which has uh, plagued me off and on over the years, and. Um, I just, I did read something, uh, a man was in a prison camp for 21 years, his father Walter Chizik, and he said that the best thing for the um, self-pity that would completely paralyze him in this awful 40 below zero weather, hard labor, he said the one thing that would snap him right out of it was to um, ask God to take away the sad feelings and then to replace that with a desire to serve and to reach out to others and to to be loved for others. And um, as a result, he's going to be canonized. It's such a human, uh, heroic human effort to do that. But only by an act of will, he said, no matter how much the pain, physical suffering was, he was able to turn that over. Joanne, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. Just in the interest of time, can we formulate oh, yeah. a question? A, that would be great. Question. Thanks. Uh, strategies for working with self-pity and prayerful solutions, I guess I would say. And like that, a model of for us, for um, self-pity uh, to heaven's inspiration yeah that's it thank you okay thanks so much did that did that make sense panelists did anyone want to address that yes um it makes perfect sense to me i just i wanted to just say really quickly too that you know for me self self-pity as i go through this process of the continued inventory process you know i can see you know where that self-pity that for me that you know, things aren't going my way is one thing. And, you know, and feeling this, this uh, incredible grief and, you know, an emotional, like this sadness is, is something else. And, um, you know, we, we go through this process with our sponsors and we go through this inventory process and we're inviting this, this God of our understanding into our lives to transform our thinking. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out and uh you know and an acknowledgement that for me in some of the areas of my life i've had to have outside help to deal with this i've had to have professionals who who deal with this all the time help me through this so just for anyone who who is is like overcome with with things that are extremely difficult it's for me 
I, I just had to get that help and, and it transformed me and opened me up in a way that doing it on my own could not, but I still do this inventory process. I still connect to my higher power. That I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. And, and Joanne, thank you so much for that. Okay, so our final uh, question for the panelists is going to come from Colleen. Colleen, star one, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thanks for your service. This is Colleen M. from Maryland. And thank you for the panelists with a great presentation. So I am on step six and seven right now, and I was talking to my sponsor this morning, and she asked me in my phone calls to ask people where they are with God. If you could say that in one word, and I thought, well, how better than to start with the panelists? If anyone could just, in one word, say where you're at with God today, that would be very helpful to me. Thank you. All right. Pressure's on. <laughs> anyone want to come up with a word or more on their relationship with God today? I'll jump out there, Larry. Um, sure. I don't know. I, without trying to analyze that too much, the first word that um, comes to me is just settled. And I mean settled in a comfortable way. I like that. Thanks, Renee. What about, I don't know, Jody, Rick, anyone want to jump in on that one? Sure. This is Jody. The first word that came to my mind was connected, and the second word was surrendered. Yeah, I like it. Thank you. Well, well Rick, uh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, uh, connected, and and right now in this moment, I am connected. I'm I'm connected with with all of you, which is connecting me to my higher power. So yeah, connected for sure. Uh, that's great. And Colleen, thank you so much for that question, too. And uh, just a, a, a beautiful shout out to our three panelists, uh, uh, Renee, Rick, and, and Jody. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, for being generous with your time this morning and uh, carrying a message of, of, real, of real depth and weight for us. Thank you. So we are going to, uh, let me give you the share ID for this presentation first. Uh, for this special edition, the share ID number is 19,239. That's 19239. And uh, we are going to close as we always do uh, with uh, reading from uh, page 164, um, uh, which is um, uh, Vision for You. And then uh, once we're done with that, we will ask uh, our panelists if they would be kind enough to leave their contact number. So our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to you or will come, <laughs> will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. 
Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge this road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.